What's up, family? If it's your first time checking out the show, let me know what city, what state you're coming in from. If you're outside of the U.S., let me know what country you're representing. Family, I need you to smash up the likes, smash up the likes, smash up the likes in the studio. Dun, dun, dun. Mark Curry. There we go. I What's mean, up, fam? Willie, I, I would expect a better intro, at least or something. <laughs> My God. Ta-ta, boom, boom, or something. You know, I need a beat. Yeah, we're 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 added later. Oh, it's an honor beat. to be here with you. I just want to let you know, as a, you know, I grew up on you. That's yeah. the crazy thing, yeah. and you don't know the influence of you on me. So it's 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 it's, it's beautiful to be here with you because you are a legend always. Thank you, man. That's the truth. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you, you know, know. And I saw you yesterday. You know, and you walked up to me. I said, "Wow, this dude's a legend. You always will be a legend." So you a legend. You know, so I grew up on your music. When I grew up, that's all I listened to. Yeah, all. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how. We, that's all we listened to. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that much music out there. Yeah, you know. And so I just wanted to say, you are a legend too. I think you had the I same jacket you. on in the in the in the album. <laughs> nah, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't do what you're about look, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think was that the same album in the, in the back. In the... I wish I had that jacket from that album. Really? Oh man, it'd be worth so much money, man. And, and listen, I have all my I have all my memorabilia from Mr. Cooper. Yeah. The first time I was on Mr. Cooper, I got the jacket. I had the blazer. Yeah. I have I, I kept everything. I wow. always kept everything because I'm six foot six, so I had nobody to give it to. Right. When you this tall, you ain't, you can't hand me down no big old jacket and no thank you. Ain't nobody yeah. that tall, so I still got all the clothes I have. Yeah. That's crazy, man. When, when you, speaking of being six six, mm-hmm. was there any pressure to actually be a basketball player? Of like, course, when you grow up in the ghetto, there's always a pressure to be a basketball player yeah. because that's all they give you is the basketball courts and the streets. Right. They block the schools off with penitentiary fences, so they want you to play basketball. So, of course, I, I wanted to play basketball, but as a young G as, in the game in East Oakland, you know, you had to make decisions quick. So I realized that that wasn't my game, but I could play uh-huh. that game to succeed, to do what I need to do. But I, it was some boys that was 6'8", Guy Williams, he's six eight, starting for USF. He didn't make the pro. Like, damn. Yeah. So they had, yeah. you know, no offense to Guy Williams, but he was incredible. Yeah. I think he got yeah. hurt. But you know, I would play play ball, and I I knew I wasn't as good as these guys. So my pipe dream wasn't that dream. Believe it or not, I love ball, but I knew it wasn't going to take me to where I needed to go. Right. But I, I looked apart. I I love playing it, and so I quit my college team. I, my college team, I quit because I knew, I said, no, we ain't doing this. You know, we ain't doing this. So people don't even know. I quit my college team. I said, fuck that. I need to go and do what I need to do because it ain't helping me. Did you go to college on a scholarship? Or? Well, they wanted me for five slammer jammer U of H, and I turned them down. When Elijah Wan and Clyde Drexler claimed me, and I said, no, they wanted me as point guard. I, I'm lying, people. I was about to say, man, <laughs> where did this story come yeah, from? No, no. <laughs> they wanted me. So, um, no, you know, I quit. Like I said, I knew that wasn't my dream. So I, I saw all the dudes that were doing the NBA, the, going overseas. I said, I ain't going overseas for $30,000. I can make that on the street in East Oakland in, in one week. So, yeah. so, no. So I stayed in... Oakland, and I, I looked, I had another a dream. It was comedy. And that was a dream that was a, a dream deferred because no one was doing comedy at the time. But mm-hmm. I felt that's what I wanted to do. It was basketball. It's so funny you say that because a coach on my college team thought I was too funny. 
He said, you're not serious. You're not serious, <laughs> you know? But this is who I was, you know, yeah. so, bam. But you wasn't the always jokey. Was you the jokey, jokey guy? Like, like what's that guy that used to play for the Lakers name, the big guy, J- Howard? Uh, uh, Jawan, is it? Um, what is it? Howard. Uh, he's, um, Last yeah. Howard. Last name Howard. Yeah, he's weak, so he's a seven-footer. Dwayne he's Howard. Weak. You don't remember his is name because he's weak. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, we that guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he jokes he, a lot. He play too much, man. No, no, he's just a young, so that's, just, that's his personality. You know, Dwight Howard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dwight Howard. Yeah, Dwight Howard. Yeah, that, yeah. that dude, I just felt like he had, like, like immense potential, man, but it seemed like he, he squandered it because he didn't take the game seriously. I don't know what happened. You know, I look at that, you know, I don't want to talk about him, but might as well. In Orlando, he was, when he came in, he was a top player. He, mm-hmm. he took him to the playoffs, if you remember. And then he went to the Lakers and the other teams. And, you know, remember Kobe, Kobe called him soft. Yeah. So when Kobe called you soft, then, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think Kobe is a lot like me. I just want you to give me everything you got. No excuses. If you give me everything you got. I told my son that my son played football mm-hmm. in high school. And, you know, his team, boy, they was sorry than a mother. I'm talking right. about one of the sorriest teams in the history of football. Right. And it's because these kids had no motivation to be grimy and, and win. And, right. I mean, they, they, they had no motivation to just put it all out on the line. Right, right. Because they were already set. They, they wasn't trying to make it to the NFL, mm-hmm. you know. They were just playing football to just say, you know, get their little football picture. Uh, right, right. Pictures, you know, yeah. on, on, on the mantle or whatever. Right. But I told my son, I said, listen, man, you know, these guys – they're not serious about being out here. Right. I say, but uh, I need you to be serious, and I need you to give me everything you got. Yeah, that's right. Every single play, every single game, and you'll never hear a complaint from me. Right, right. Just give me everything you got because you got my last name. Right, you know, that's like, right. You part of my legacy, bro, and I said, uh, I ain't getting down like that. Right, right. That's beautiful. And, You're right. And, and he went out there. That boy gave me everything that he had every single play. Mm-hmm. Hustle, 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 mm-hmm. hustle. Every single play. You could barely even touch him. He was, the ball was moving so damn right, fast. Right, right. Barely touch him. But yeah, That's you know, what that, about. That, that is uh it is a, a remarkable thing to be able to actually play sports and then transition to other things. Cause so many athletes out there, they get stuck on that one thing mm-hmm. and they can't pivot. Right. And they end up like like going into a dark place. Right. I, I want to go all the way back to Oakland, man. Because mm-hmm. first of all, shout out to Oakland. You yeah. guys have always supported us. We loved you. We got family in in Oakland. Yeah, you know, we loved uh, you. all you guys, man. Short sway. Yeah. We 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 love we uh, we forty and we, we, we the whole crew you. To click. You know. You was fifth in the yeah. rotation. Yeah. Because you sounded like us. Right. You know. You was you know. Yeah. Early Oakland, man. Man, how was it growing up in Oakland? Um, how was it growing in up your in your household? In my household, and um, coming from a family of, of nine, eight. You're the, you're the baby youngest, of eight, baby of eight kids. You're the baby of eight. Yeah, baby of eight, two bedroom house. Wow. Deal with that, baby y'all of eight. All in the same house at the same time. All in the same house, all at the same time, and that's where I got my comedic skills for survival. You right. know. You know, everybody. I wasn't the funniest one in my house. You know, we had a funny house. So here you are, a ghetto house, and we're growing up. And you know, and we, we. I don't want to say we were poor, but we always had food. We mm-hmm. always had heat. 
We only had two heaters, but it was on. We only had one heater in the front, one heater in the back. Mm-hmm. I'm is this? I'm listening to this. It sounds like we grew up in rural Mississippi or something. I'm like, <laughs> why? We had one heater in the front of the house and one heater in the back. So before you get on the bus, you had to get on that front heater and then run out. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. So you know, two bedroom house, eight kids. So you know, my you had to you had to pick a bed. My brother be in bed at three o'clock in the afternoon just to get a bed. Just yeah. you know, it's my bed. If not, you didn't have a bed. I, I never had a bed. I didn't have a bed till my sisters moved out. I didn't have a bed till I was about sixteen. Yeah. Cause I just had to jump beds. Right. Isn't that crazy. I look at that. I never really said that. That is so funny. That's so funny. That's crazy. Ten eighteen seventy third Avenue, baby. Was you raised with your father in the house? Yeah, I was the only one on my block in a, in a ten block radius with a daddy at home. Mm. Why in the hell I have to have a daddy at home? Damn! I was like, damn! <laughs> Why well, I gotta have a daddy at home? Everybody could do what they want to do. Yeah. Seven o'clock, that light came on. Clack clack. Right. <laughs> hey, it was time to go. You hear that? <laughs> that whistle. I was yeah. the only one with a daddy at home. So therefore, I didn't realize this till later on in life. Talking to you know my homeboys, D boys, and my father was the father of all of them. Right. And I didn't know that. He said, man, my, you know, we'd be doing something grimy. Your father come by and said, what you going to do when they come for you? And so, yeah. you know, so he was the really the dad for everybody. I never knew that. It's community dad. It's community dad. So I was the only one with a father at home um, in the ghetto. I think, yeah. I, you know, that's, that's crazy. That is so crazy. And I was the only one with a father at home. So when I left, I had a daddy. I wasn't smoking weed. I wasn't doing drinking, nothing. You know, I got my daddy, my daddy had a motion detector light in the living room. You come in, bam, bam, where you been, boy? Yeah. You know, so it was growing up. So I, I had a, I had a parent, I had a two-parent home growing up, and I went to Catholic school. Because my mom was trying to get me from the, you know, from the hood, so she sent me to Catholic school. And so here I am, ghetto boy, in Catholic school, living in the hood. And so it was, It was. I think the church kind of saved me because I ended up working for the church. I was an altar boy. I ended up working for the church on summer, that summer program. They was giving me money. And so, um, you know, I, I came, and I don't know, you know, I was blessed. The Lord blessed me, you know, to to so, to survive, really. Because, you know, so many, so many guys didn't make it, you know, and I was blessed. I don't know what my you know light was my ambition but you know i had a different light and so you know i knew what i wanted to do in the turmoil of everything that they gave us at the ghetto because the ghetto gave us so much you know so much you know uh devices you know you walk to school and i remember seeing them cool cigarette ads or uh, uh, forty ounce ads. I remember I had to walk by a liquor store to go to school. You had to walk by a liquor store, and so you think about all that. You think about I survived government cheese. I was I survived, you know, all these shootings, police shootings, all this, and I survived and I became, you know, somebody out that house. So that's deep, and I never really think about that. But you know, because you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of boys, you know, in San Quentin in the penitentiary right now over some crazy stuff and you know here I, I was the light and I had a light and I survived it I don't know how I did it did you feel the love at the time in your household did you feel like as a kid did you feel loved yeah you know yeah that's deep you know you know not from the pops you know pops relationship was deep because fathers then you know it, love wasn't you know it wasn't about that it was about love you was do it, do it. And yeah. but my mother gave me a lot of love 
and then I had love for my sisters and brothers. So yeah, my mom's gave me a lot of love, and that was she was the you know the main piece to keep me going, keep me calm situations, you know, and you know, and um, you know. When I first started doing comedy, I was clean and fresh because she would come to my shows. I couldn't be talking about, you know, all this craziness. So when I first started out, people said, you're a clean comedian. So I said, no, nigga, my mama come to every show. (laughs) (laughs) My mama come to every show, you know, so. And so it it was definitely the love in the house. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to East Oakland Youth Development Center. Yeah, okay. You know, what was that like, you Mm. know? I went to the boys' club. That's why yeah, I found, I, I that's got why into I found a fight. my refuge. The boys' club. Boys I was walked into the boys' club in East Oakland first day. Niggas was on one. We yeah. got into a fight the first fucking day. I never went back to that. And what was this fight over? I, shit, where I'm from. Where you from, homie? Where you from, yeah. homie? And they, I think they, the, you know, we were from 73rd, and they were in the 80s and the 90s. They was running the boys' club. Like, what? You know, we went in there. So I would have to go to the white boys' club way in San Leandro to avoid funk. Yeah. Then they opened up the youth centers, and that youth center was cool. And that, you know, so that I went in there. I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I've spent many a nights and days in there playing basketball, just chilling out, you know. You know, so that youth development center was big, and I was able to come back, you know, after Mr. Cooper, come back and serve it, you know, just with my time. And I would go back in there and just, you know, be with the kids from – the ghetto, let them know I'm a ghetto boy too. You can do any damn thing that you want to do against mm-hmm. all odds. You know, just my presence. I wasn't trying to preach, just the presence of me showing up with a nice whip, you know, still being who I am. And, 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 and we had a basketball tournament that was incredible. Our tournament turned out, Damon Leonard played my tournament. We had a lot of guys, you know, playing my tournament, which was incredible. So I, I gave them back a tournament, and my biggest thing was to give them big trophies. We gave them big-ass trophies mm-hmm. because I wanted them to go home with something. You know, I ain't never won a trophy in my life. I had never won a trophy. And I was like, man, so everybody, we fed them and gave them a big-ass trophy. So we gave them hope. You know, that's all I could do is give you a little hope, baby. When Do you ever go back to your old school, uh, St. Joseph? Yeah, that's a white community. I get robbed and I, mean, I get arrested. <laughs> shit, hell no. Nah. Are they affiliated with Notre Dame? Because no, it's St. No. Joseph Notre no, Dame. No, St. Joseph Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the was. I went to all boys school, mm-hmm. Catholic, and the girls was next door. So that sounds like a long time ago. So I went to a school. The boy, the girls was next door. We didn't interact with the girls, mm-hmm. you know. And so it was. But the school taught me so much. It was a very rigid Catholic school. It was about that education, and it taught me, you know how to bubble in education mm. because the punk ass coach cut me in the 10th grade bitch ass motherfucker <laughs> and he 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 dead now but still you know now that's the more curry i know <laughs> yeah bitch ass motherfucker cut me in the 10th grade i thought it was the end of the world but it was all but it was a revelation to who i was going to be yeah you know cuz i i learned i said you know i learned how to um you know i learned how to um, educate myself once i got yeah. cut you know so i said okay he gonna cut me, okay. It was a different motivation. It spent me to a different motivation. Man, you just said, you said you call your uh, coach a, a bitch ass motherfucker. Yeah. That sequence of words is seems like a, one of your favorites. It seems like one of your go tos because you said that about Steve Harvey. 
Bitch ass motherfucker. Yeah. Well, if you're a bitch ass motherfucker, you know you're a bitch ass <laughs> motherfucker. Bitch ass motherfucker is a certain type of motherfucker. You know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. You from the hood. You know what yeah. I mean? If I say you're a bitch ass motherfucker, you, you know, I mean, you just, you know, you ain't, you know, I don't have to explain that. Yeah. You know, have you ever had to, like, get into it with somebody? You use those, you, you use those words. Those mm. are fighting words. No, I don't fight nobody. You don't have to fight. I tell these motherfuckers, you's a bitch-ass motherfucker. That don't mean I got to fight you. He going to say, what'd you say? I'm going to say, motherfucker, you heard what I said. And that's it. I ain't fighting you. If I fight you, if I see you, I'm going to walk up and knock you the fuck out. I don't have to talk and all that bullshit. I don't do that talking. Okay. You okay. know, walk so up and knock say, you the fuck out. So you saying that... Will Smith did it wrong. Will, you you know, you wouldn't accept it to slap. That's what you're saying. Nigga, please. First of all, <laughs> ain't no man going to walk up on me. You feel me? Ain't no man walking up on me and saying things anyway. You feel me? But, but okay, okay. Let's, let's, let's be realistic here. Mm-hmm. A man could temporarily lose his mind and walk up to you and say yes. something reckless. You can't control that. Yeah, you can't you control, control that. what you do after But he that. walked up to him and hit him and then said, see, that, that he don't got that ghetto in him. Will ain't got that ghetto in him. You're supposed to say it while you're hitting the motherfucker. Keep my motherfucker right out your mouth. <laughs> and he hit the motherfucker. He didn't even, his ear was still ringing. He didn't hear nothing he said. He just said, nominees. <laughs> You gotta let him know before. Say, how, how often did you fight in the neighborhood when growing up? In, in my neighborhood, yeah. Um, you know, that's funny because we didn't fight. We didn't. We really didn't fight. I didn't fight. Mm-hmm. I used my comedic skills to get out of these altercations. I mean, you know, I, I just, that's true. It sounds funny, but this is a true story. I remember the dudes had me down, and I said something funny. My mama got chicken or something. And they said, what do you say? <laughs> and they just they just did what you did. They started laughing, and, and I ran. And I learned that mechanism. I remember I was in front of Tolan's Liquor Store, and the dudes from 6ix9ineVille had me down, and I used that mechanism. And that's a true story. I remember that distinctly. I was yeah. in Catholic school. They had me down. I said, my mama got some chicken cooking or something. Like They went, what do you say? Yeah. And I and I got out of there. <laughs> if somebody fights you and they talk to you while they're fighting you, they're serious. Like, they, like you really pissed them off. That's what I'm like, saying. Really, Will did it. Will Smith did yeah. it wrong. He yeah. said what he said after he hit the dude. You say what you say before you hit him. Keep him up. Then pop. In any event, it was effective. It was effective. The, the slap was effective because, man, that thing is going to be around forever. Even that. They probably have a hundred, hundred year anniversary. You go down the of the slap. You go down the infant for the rest of of life. It's inf- infamy for life. I don't even know how you can get somebody back for that. The only thing you could possibly do is slap them on the Oscars, like at the Oscars. No. Um, you go to their door. You 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 go up, um, do their door, and slap the shit out of them and leave. Well, actually, I think that if somebody slap you, you got to do more than slap them. For for example, so you know, to me, slapping a man, yeah, is degrading. It's it's is this it's it's probably more disrespectful than spitting on a man or kicking a man. Yeah. Slapping a man that means you a bitch. Yeah. Yes. That, when you slap a man. Mm-hmm. That's that's in your mind. You slapping him because you feel like he's a bitch. Exactly. Right. So exactly. just the thought of somebody slapping me and thinking, having that going through their mind, thinking that's what I am, I got to show them something different. So. Well, can you this, show them after a slap? Uh, a kick. 
Yeah, well, you could show them the morgue. Yeah. You know, you could show them. Well, you don't have to show them that. You know, like. Yeah, I, not I, for I, a slap. Not but, for a slap. But here's the thing. Not here's, for a slap. Here's the thing, Mark. You know, you know. When, when, you, when, when somebody put their hands on you, you can't control how they respond. Like, you like, like, I don't, I'm going to tell you something, bro. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done in that situation, in that exact right. moment. I don't know exactly what I would have done if I was Will or Chris. Right. I don't know. Well, I mean, I agree with you because this is the, I, you had an event that's like, you didn't know what to do for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> this is being nationally broadcasted. Right. But I do know if, I do know if somebody would have slapped me, I don't care. I, man, I could be in heaven getting ready to go through the gate. Right. If somebody slapped me, they ass. <laughs> I'm finna get dead on their ass, bro. And and I'm gonna be on them so. You know how you have to try to claw right. a German Shepherd off somebody right. and they biting. It's gonna be like that. I think bro. that the I think that the shock was such of a shock. I think it just threw everything off. It's totally threw me off because you know. I thought it was we, fake. I, I, I thought it was I, fake. I, Will, I like Will. You know what right. I'm saying. Will has always been a good dude, and Will is put the work in and Chris has too. You know, they these, both put work these in. guys have, you know, these guys, they're on a different level. Right. And so you might expect, you know, one of the little new Instagram comedians right. or something to get into a squabble. Right. But you don't even expect, even people like you, you know what I'm saying, on your level, your, with your iconic status, nobody expect a Mark Curry to right. be fighting anywhere. Right. You know, I, like, I, and I don't, you and you'll like never see me you fight. use your, yeah, you yeah. Know, you never yeah. see me when you saw me on that tape in the lobby. It, you know when they had me in the in lobby, Colorado yeah, Springs. I, <laughs> that's why I was calm. I was calm because I knew if, as a black man, if I raised my voice in any type of way, they was going to use that. That's why right. I was calm. And if I needed to knock them motherfuckers out, one, two, and you're toothless. Right. You know, so I, I wasn't worried about. I wasn't worried about. You know, I was. You know, I don't know if they had weapons. I, I was trying to be calm to de-escalate as a black man. Look at the situation that happened in Memphis. You know, you got to de-escalate. You got to. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, with all this, they want you to flinch. Mm-hmm. Right. Put your arm back. You. Fl- they put you flinch. You flinch. Up. Oh, that's it. You know. So, I just try to be calm as an OG in these situations. I think you did a remarkable job in handling that situation. Mm. Uh, when it first happened, though, when it was happening to yeah. you, you've heard about all of these stories right. all over the country. I, but when it was happening to right. you, what are you feeling in that exact moment? You know, as a learned man, as a man who knows my history, as a man who knows how they're going to come at you, how they come at you, how they feel about you, how they think about you, then it was less impactful for me. I knew what was happening, so I knew the situation. That's why I turned the camera on. That's why I was calm. I knew what was going down. I said, let me, excuse me, record this Mm -hmm. just so they understand that this is, this felt, to me, it felt like Jim Crow laws in the 50s, 60s, where a black man, not only does a black man ask if, if he's in this hotel, but the janitor felt that he had the authority to check me. Bitch. I started to say, no, I don't have a room at this hotel, motherfucker. I got a suite, bitch. But I didn't say that. You know, I just let them have their way. Because I know that if I would have said, goddamn, or anything, then I'm a black man cursing in the lobby. And they're going to come a different way. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was very calm. And, you know, 
it, it took a little bit of my masculinity out. It's like, oh, man. I, I left the hotel. I went to a Motel 6 because they don't got lobbies. So mm-hmm. I go to motels now. I don't stay in hotels. No, Jesus. But, you know, I, I felt my humanity was being taken, but then I was also learned it to understand just chill, boy, don't even, you know, don't even f- flip off this. But it did affect me. It did affect me. Because here the janitor is, t- is asking me, where, where did the authority, where did he felt that he had the authority to jam me up? Mm-hmm. Motherfucker, what? The janitor. So, you know, just let you know the state of America today. Who was that black guy who was co-signing for him? I don't know. I what, what, what was his job? I, I don't know no, what his job was. They never, they never, they walked up to me, walked up on me, and they they never identified themselves. Mm-hmm. They didn't have nothing. So I was like in the situation, all right, motherfucker, what's up? You know, you know. I, I checked my exits. I see where they were. I, you know, I, I saw who's gonna hit it, get it, get it first, you know. And so, I, I they look like a cartoon to me. Look like, uh, you know, uh, Meth Man and his sidekick Wonder Boy or some shit. <laughs> it might, it might like a cartoon. Them motherfuckers did some meth. <sighs> let's go, sidekick boy, and let's go arrest some people. Yeah. So it was, it was a weird situation. I ended up leaving the hotel. You know, and so, you know, and the hotel never called me back. No, they never said they're sorry, never said nothing. And it's a black woman on the board. So it's just a race. And it, they have black owners of that hotel. You know, really? so, yeah, yeah. They have, what was the name of that hotel? Was it the, was the Wyndham? Wyndham something. Yeah, the Wyndham, Wyndham in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And, it's and, you know, I'll never go to Colorado Springs, but wait till Deion Sanders. Wait till, if Mr. Cooper can't be in the lobby, wait till they see prime time in the lobby. <laughs> you know, I wish Dion all the best, but I know, bro. I know. Dion is a stand-up type dude. He right. going to say what he feel. Right. Uh, he's a very vocal person. He's, he's passionate. And, man, a black man being all of that is not acceptable in the United States of America. If... Uh, it, it, on, on, from... from a particular segment right. of society, right. you get in that space and you do that, they're going to try to figure out a way to punish you. If, I I think that if he wins, if he wins, they will accept him. If he loses, they will degrade He's going to win, but he the problem is that he has to be perfect. Yeah. You see, he has to be perfect and he doesn't get a chance to tell off one of these racist ass people who are just hating just to be hating, right? Or who feels offended that they they ran the ball in, instead of throwing the ball on fourth down, right? But, you know, it, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Because people are who they are. Right. In Colorado Springs and Colorado, all of that, all of that, right? It's like it really represents. You know what the fabric of this country exactly it, it, is made it, of. It lets like, you know. It yeah. just lets you know. Just just the fact that a janitor and this is a five star hotel would even act would talk to a customer. He, right. Now you're supposed to talk to me. Yeah, and, and that's true. That's true. And some people may see that as condescending, but think of that as condescending, but it's not because think about 
your own your own experiences in life. How many times have you been to the hotel and even seen a janitor? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Jan- exactly. You, don't have, you don't communicate with janitors. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But just, yeah, you let you know the fabric of America today, you know, that we are, this is 2023, and we're still, you tell me it's 2023, and a black man is still jammed up in the lobby of a hotel. Mm-hmm. Just let you know. And as a historian, immediately I went back to Jim Crow law. So I, I looked at it as a as a situation. Mark, you went back to 1959 and you experienced it. It's crazy, man, because, yes. you know, societies are supposed to go forward. Right. And America just seems like it just can't get right. It can't get right. Can't get right. But like, people don't realize that slavery was 400 years. So yeah. it takes time. It, that was a long, long, long time. People don't realize the impact of that was so long. That's generations and generations and generations. And this that generation is still is still thinking like that in America. Mm-hmm. You ain't you go fire plane. When have you seen a black pilot? When have, to this day, God damn, you don't see a black pilot. You go to Disneyland, you can't see a black princess in Disneyland. You can spend them tickets cost eight hundred dollars. I still can't see a black princess. My, my, I took my daughter to the to the parade. Daddy, where the black princesses? I think they up in the tower making the dresses for the white ones. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you see this in America. You go look in America and, you know, you say, wow. You see, she's the first black, these political things, the first black I mayor. I can't stand that shit. You be like, man. what? In 93 years, you're like, what? She's the first black, what? What? And you look at the timeline. You say, well, what? what? Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I can't, I can't stand that first black this, yeah. first black that. First, I I just don't like. I like. Let's just do it, man. They're just just. I like just it. I like to see it because I like. To, you know why? Well, I like to see it because it's, you say, "Damn, I can't remember some lady just some happy." You're like, "Damn, how many? It's night. This 2023, and they never had a black. It's, you know, wow." It's just amazing. And that's what our youth need to see. And that's what people need to see. Look at timelines and look our advancements and see how much money have black spent economy on airlines. We spend more money on entertainment or airline tickets than anybody. We can't get a black pilot. Damn. Well, I've seen a few black pilots. Okay, but you ain't seen Not many, not many. There you go. You see them, they don't want to talk to you. I ain't got no upgrades or nothing. Leave me alone now. Yeah, but they don't talk at all, though. Pilots don't typically talk. They just kind of like get in there and do what they got to do. Right, right. But you see a black, you want to say, oh, hey, brother. How you doing? You want to say, hey, what's up, bro? They don't like that. Go on, on. I ain't got no upgrades or nothing now. Leave me alone now. Come on now. (laughs) I'm I'm, going to retire in three months. Let me let let this happen. Because, you know, a black pilot would have had a pistol. You know that. You know a black pilot gonna have. He the only. My father carried a black pilot, but have a pistol. Close that goddamn door. I ain't gonna miss my grandson's birthday. Close that door. What did your father do? Well, my father was an engineer at at um, Naval Air Station for like fifty years. Mm-hmm. Steady man. And when he retired, they got a nigga a pen. Mm. He said, "Shit, I stole them already." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, so he was, he, he, you know, he went, he was in World War II. He came from Louisiana um, to San Francisco. From San Francisco, he went straight to the Lucian Islands. And I looked up the ship that my father left in World War II, 1942. So I asked him to ship. And so I looked that ship up. 
and that ship was still in service. He looked at that ship for 50 years because there was a ship that was sitting there. It was a service ship. That's the same ship that took him to the Lucian Islands in 1942. And so um, uh, he worked there for 50 years and took care of the family. So after mm-hmm. he came back from World War II, a lot of people, that's where Oakland came from. A, a lot of the servicemen came to Oakland. He stayed there, met my mom, and the rest is history. Yeah, and what did your mom do? Mom was just a housewife. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, eight that make, kids. That makes sense. I yeah. was like, oh, no, who's going to take all, care of all these kids? Yeah. It's probably more feasible for her to just stay yeah, home. stay at home. Instead of going to work, because she'd be giving all the money back trying that's to exactly. pay and she, we needed babysitters. Her. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We ain't never, I ain't never had no babysitter. We never had babysitters yeah. in my life, you know? And so that's my... And they, and they stayed married for like 55 years. Yeah. It was like, whoa, whoa. They they were together. They would they would argue talk. Do you want to eat? Yeah, woman, I want to eat. I want to eat. Yes, I want to eat. Oh my God. What you don't think I want to eat? You just asked me that I want to eat just five minutes ago and now you're saying do I want to eat? Oh my God. When 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 they raised you, did they like did you ever have conversations with your parents like as far as life? Like not not you did this, you did that, mm. or I, I go do this and do that. I'm talking about sitting you down and like this is life then uh, this is how you should conduct yourself as a young man. Um, no, um, you know, that's it's really on my mom. My mom gave the validity. My mom was the one who taught me everything. You know, my father didn't really, you know, teach me too much. You know, um, you know, he would say little things, you know. You know, all right now, yeah, you know, if he started slipping, all right now, what you going to do when they come for you? You know, yeah. that's all he would say. You know, well, I think your father taught you the, the value of hard work and, yes. and and commitment and loyalty. Yes, exactly. Because he was loyal, he was deep, yeah. he was on, he did what he's supposed to do on time, all that, saved his money. You know, he did. He never t- he worked on all the cars himself. He did everything. Didn't want no other man to help us. Didn't you know? So mm-hmm. he did. You right? He taught. He was steady. Right. He was. He had to be. Stick. Because you could get fired from your job at that time, and didn't, they didn't have no HR and shit. You just got fired. Mm-hmm. So you you understand a father, then you got to understand the humility that he had to come home with. You don't know what he was feeling. Right. You know, you don't know how that white man talked to him at work. You don't know how that, that police talked to him and they pulled him over. You don't know how he went to the store and they called him boy and nothing he can do and the frustration of a black man at that time. You know, then you come home to your kids and, you know, psychologically, you don't know how to take that out. You got society on you. You're dealing with financial. You know at any time it could be gone. Then you come home, you deal with your kids, you know, and, you know, you're dealing with your father teaching you how he grew up. My father grew up poor. He was like, motherfucker, you know, do it. We ain't, you know, it is what it is, you know. And so he taught me that. But he bought me everything. My daddy bought me everything. Like I had a motorcycle at 16. I had, you know, because we, I had everything. I had everything I ever wanted. You know, I was a ghetto boy, but I, still I had a motorcycle at, at 16, which was incredible. I had a bike, I had a, I had a five-speed purple um uh, bicycle, which was which was probably one of the biggest things I've ever gotten in my life, was that five-speed bicycle because it was a chance for me to get out the ghetto. I fucking bike. I was like, shit, I was riding that motherfucker like a motorcycle. And I still have that bike. Hmm. I still have the bike. I still have it. I still have everything that I ever have in my life. I still have that motorcycle. I still have my first truck that I ever bought. All the cars I ever bought, I still have everything that I ever bought. Hmm. still have it. 
Interesting. That is, that is very interesting. Yes, I still have my, my bicycle that meant so much to me. Five-speed, purple, five-speed, took me out the ghetto. It really, I still have it. Um, then I got a motorcycle at 16. reason I didn't get a dirt bike because I was 6'4 and shit, so I had to get a man motorcycle because I looked like a, a kid. So I still got that motorcycle. I got a Volkswagen, first Volkswagen, I still own it. My, then I got an 87 Dodge Raider. When I first started doing comedy in 1987, I still got the Dodge Raider. Mr. Cooper, I walked on Martin Luther King's birthday and said, give me a black-on-black Mercedes drop-top, motherfuckers. Martin Luther King's birthday, paying cash for this bitch right now. And give me a black man. So black, I found the first black salesman, give me a black-on-black drop-top Mercedes on Martin Luther King's birthday. And a black salesman. And a black salesman. Walked in that bitch, took me 15 minutes. Yeah, they was there. I said, motherfuckers, cash, bitch. How long? It's not going to take no, I don't need no finance. I remember there was the white lady. I said, I don't need all this shit, bitch. I got cash. Let's get this done. 15, 20 minutes, let's go. They were, whoa, 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 whoa. And bam, I still got that car. Is cash still king to you? Uh, How important is credit? Credit is very important. Very, is, credit is very. Do you important. value it more than you value cash? Now? No, uh, uh-uh, I'm a ghetto nigga. I believe, all you need is cash and ammunition. <laughs> That's what OG told me. That's all you need is cash and ammunition. You can survive anything. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, OG told me that Lonnie yeah. Bates, OG, one of my guys I looked up to. Yeah. He told me that all you need is cash and ammunition. I say cash, ammunition, and some common sense. Uh, you just need cash and, <laughs> but, and, and yeah. that common sense will come to you yeah. in the situation. Um. You mentioned your your father and mm-hmm. you and the, the struggles that he had, you know, raising right. eight kids and right. holding down a home. He never saw me do Mr. Cooper, my father. Right. And the first time he ever saw me perform was when I did Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did the Jamie Foxx episode where I was a drill sergeant, the reason I performed like that, and the reason I did that, never told nobody, because my daddy was there. Mm. That was the first time, it was my daddy's birthday. And so I said, Daddy, why don't you come hang with me? I had a yacht called the Sea Pimp. I used to roll this. I had a yacht, my own yacht called the Sea Pimp. And so I took my daddy on my yacht. Uh, he said, this is the best birthday I ever had because I had babes. We was rolling, you know, you know. And I had to do Jamie Foxx. I said, um, you know, Dad, why don't you come check me out? You know, you haven't seen me. And so he said, okay, you know. And um, he came, and that's why I acted a fool. Mm-hmm. That's why I showed out. I said, let me show my daddy what I can do, how funny I can be. And that was that was the first time him seeing me perform was at that that thing. Man, ain't that crazy how we no matter how old we get, we still wanna like make our parents proud. Yeah. We still wanna like yeah. you know, like we get a little uh mm-hmm. excited when they show up yeah. and watch us do our thing. Hell yes. Because he had never seen me, he didn't know, you know. Here I am, we battling, you know, I'm buying him, you know, buying him cars and shit. He ain't driving them. Right. You know, he a black man. I think he was, you know, proud of, he was a black man. So, you know, I was saying, here I am, I'm somebody, man. You know, I, I made it, bro. Uh, you know, you know, it was very difficult because here I had to come back to the hood. Here I'm famous. I'm international famous. Shit, I go to Africa, they know me. I come back to 73rd Avenue. And, you know, I'm trying to hang with my homies and, you know, and my daddy. What's up, daddy? You know, I bought him a car. He wouldn't even drive the motherfucker. Paid cash. Wouldn't even buy him. I was like, man, I was going to take it back. My mother said, don't you take that car back. You just leave it there. Let him deal with it. Leave that car. Put them keys down. Put them keys down. I was like, fuck that nigga. Nigga ain't driving the motherfucker. I said, he doing his way. Leave him alone. Uh, and so I was like, man, what the fuck? I bought your new car. Nigga didn't buy that drive that motherfucker for two years and shit. 
Yeah, I'm like, nigga, what's wrong with you, man? You did, know? did he ever tell you that he was proud of you? Uh, no. Wow. Yeah, no. Nah. My mama, did you yeah. anticipate that, hearing that someday? No, uh, because I had to, you know, it. You know, I never even thought of that. You know, we never had no conversations like that. You know. Did you ever feel that he was proud of you? Oh, definitely. Of course, he was proud of me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I knew he was proud of me in his own way. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. He was definitely proud. Here I am. I became Mr. Cooper. Here I am, a ghetto boy. Became the biggest international star. You know, I mean, you know, I did it right. And mm -hmm. I, you know, so they were proud. Mom was really proud. She was really proud. You know, and I'm sure pops was too. Cause we we hung out. You know, you know, we hung out later. You know, like I went to a club with him, and you know, like when I brought him up to L.A., I left some babes. You know, some babes, you know, we I said, take care of my daddy. You know, he drinking Tangeray, you know, you know, so first time you ever had espresso was with me. What that coffee? That was some powerful coffee. I stayed up all night. <laughs> I don't know what that stuff was. <laughs> yeah, so me, Jamie Foxx took it. Me and Jamie Foxx took my daddy out for his birthday. So that was one of the greatest yeah. times of my life. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Jamie, man. What kind of guy is Jamie? Oh, I don't it, talk about other dudes. He good, he beautiful people. They yeah. all rich. He, he a good guy. Yeah. He a good guy. And they all you know, good guy. I remember Jamie I, from uh, Birdland. I used to fly to Birdland on the weekends what is when I wasn't working. Birdland was a comedy club in Long Beach. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. It, I used to perform there. Yeah. So uh, mm. D.L. Hughley used to host. Yeah, I remember Birdland. I remember Jamie's first jokes. Yeah. It was crazy. But that that spot right there, that, that I think was the last great, like great, especially black, comedy club in the L.A. area. Yeah. Birdland. That, I mean, that, you go there, and the competition was so fierce. Yeah, exactly. The hecklers. Yeah. The hecklers could have done five, ten minutes. Yeah, because I would go in there and kill Birdland. Let me tell you about Birdland. I would leave my job at Paying Safe in, in Oakland, leave my job at 3 o'clock, get off, drive to... L.A., five hours, get to Birdland about 7, 8 o'clock, mm -hmm. perform. Go to the comedy store, da da da, and be back at work Monday. I was When I did Birdland, I was still working at Payne yeah, Safe Drugstore. You got to be committed to that thing, man. Yeah. At what point do you get the comedy bug? When? Yeah. Well, I went to go see Richard Pryor in 1974. Five seventy six, and I still have the ticket stub. See, I collect everything. Mm -hmm. I still have the ticket stub. You hear me? Oh, do you consider yourself a hoarder? No, uh, -uh just all your just, stuff is organized and everything. No, yeah, you got organized. too much stuff. Nah, yeah, I just I just believe in keeping things. Yeah. You know, we just keep things. I believe in keeping things, and these things become pieces in your life. Just for example, I kept this ticket stub. To Richard Pryor in 1976, I went. I was I, I couldn't go. I wanted to go see Richard Pryor. I remember uh, my sister boyfriend let me put on that's when they had the pimp hats. I was already about six foot two. I had on some platforms and a pimp hat. You had to be 18 and over. I, think I was about 13. I walked in to go see Richard Pryor. True shit. True shit. Because he had a because we went in a white 68. I mean suicide continental. He had a suicide. Steve had a su continental suicide doors white. With with blue interior, I remember the car. So we rode up to see Richard Pryor, and that changed my life. I knew what I wanted to do. You were thirteen. Yeah, about fourteen, fifteen. I couldn't get in. So at what? So I heard that you was practicing at this drugstore you used to work. Yes. At. 
I and did. you was practicing practicing your comedy on the uh, on the customers. I would and, do that. And, I worked. And they the, became some of your first fans. Yeah, because I would walk up to people, and I would and I would just try you a joke. Say for example, you say, well, you know, where's your toaster? And I would say, uh, I would say, uh, <laughs> I would say, I would just say the joke. I would say um, um, something like, uh, what was the joke? Um, I saw a girl hair weave who it got froze. She had to put it in the microwave. <laughs> and if you laugh right then. I had a pass, you know, that worked. Yeah. Because I knew I was testing, because I had no place to test the jokes out. I had to be on stage that night. I'm yeah. working. I had to be on stage that night, so I had a pad. So, try, you know, I remember writing jokes. The pimp kit, I remember I wrote, you need to, you need to, no, you need the dope, the dope dealer kit. You need a gold chain. I remember I wrote it, I wrote it right as I was working. Mm -hmm. I would write all that, and then I would perform it. I would try it on unsuspecting customers, but I wouldn't say this is a joke. I would just say it. Right. And they were like, <laughs> they laugh. <laughs> that, that's a true story. How long did you work there? I worked there, um, shit, man, boy. That's a good question. I mean, about seven years. I thought that was my career. Uh -huh. I remember I was about 27, 25. I was like, damn, man, I didn't make it in life. I'm working at Pay and Save Drugstore. Fuck. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to own a house by the time I'm 30. I remember, I remember distinctly saying that. I said, fuck, I'm not going to make it. I didn't make it in life. Fuck, here I am working at this place. And that's true. I remember thinking that. And then right at 30, you get your first movie role, right? You get, yeah. you get the talk, uh, the talking no. dirty after dark. Is that when that came? No, no, no. First, I moved to L.A., and then I get an HBO special. You got and an HBO special HBO first. special. I'm in my apartment in Los Angeles with no furniture in my apartment. And the only thing I had was a phone. And the phone rang. It was HBO. I'm like, who? HBO, we're going to give you a special. What? A special? What the fuck? I thought it was some fake shit. I didn't think it was real. And I just, just moved to L.A. And, HBO special? Are you and and where were you working out at at that time? Um, I had just moved to L.A. I just quit my job. And I just moved to L.A. I, was, I, I had gigs on the road. I was okay. making so $1,500 so $1, a week. So you didn't have a residency there? No, I had fifteen hundred dollars a week on the road. Okay. I walked into the man and said, "Look," he said, "How much money you want to make?" I said, "I want to make a hundred thousand. He said, <laughs> "I thought it was a lot of money." I said, "I want to make a hundred thousand. He said, "Done, easy." And they put me on the road. I was mm -hmm. making fifteen hundred dollars a week. He said, how many gigs you want? I said, "Give them all. How much, nigga? I don't need to stay at home." And so I stayed on the road for like, you know, and um, in my apartment, six twenty South Gramercy. I'm in that apartment. See, I was a fly comedian. I came from Oakland. Nigga. I, I'm fly. Them motherfuckers living raggedy and shit, raggedy cars. Nigga, I don't do that. Nigga, I'm fly, boy. I had me a nice 87 Dodge Raider sunroof. What? You know, I, I had furniture and shit. So when I moved, I, dudes had all these raggedy. I said, nigga, I ain't moving in this raggedy ass shit. I moved into a cold ass 620 South Grand. It was brand new. It was fly. And I, I, I had the best apartment of anybody. I don't give a fuck what you say. I was fly, nigga. I was, I wasn't no. I was, I had, I came from money. I, I had money. I stayed working at paying stave, so I, I had cash. I wasn't, you know, them niggas would be just comedians out there doing anything. I said, nah, nigga, I ain't doing that. I, I'm fly, my phone. I came here. I had an apartment full of, of furniture because we stole everything. We went to the to the retail center, and me and my brother put, we stole, when I moved in my apartment, it was furnished. And bam, I had a mover come in, and um, and, and, and I, oh, 620 South Gramercy, I wanted to say that because my apartment was fly, they all would come over and look at my apartment. Jamie Foxx moved, Jamie Foxx moves in to my apartment. 
Then Chris Tucker moves into my apartment. Your apartment complex. My apartment, apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. apartment climb, complex. Right. I'll let you know I'm the first G. Yeah. They they were they were they came, they moved in with my shit. I remember that. Yeah. So <laughs> and Clifton Powell. Yeah, man. Shout out to Clifton, man. Yeah, Clifton Powell moved in. Clifton I remember Powell. I rolled up and um and um first this is LA for you. And um Pam Greer walks by my what? apartment. I said, fuck, that's fucking Pam Greer. It was Pam Greer. I think about it, it was Pam Greer. Lived in lived around the corner and next. I know she walked by. It was Pam Greer. I would see her all the time. And I would play ball with Elder Barge and they brothers who lived by what behind was this, me. North Hollywood? Uh yeah, yeah, it's six twenty South Gramercy Place. No, this was um That's not North It's not North Hollywood. But Cause that's where that's where a lot of the implants come. Yeah. You know, like the you know, as soon as the people get there, they come to they go to North, everybody moved to North, North Hollywood. Hollywood. I was the first black dude in North Hollywood in the 90s. Ain't no, yeah. when I moved, and ain't nobody, the reason I moved to the Valley because of Bob Hope. Okay. I, I see, I'm a veteran. I did a show with Bob Hope, and um, we did a Christmas show. And so Bob Hope loved comedians, so he was talking to me. And I was, he was spit, spitting game to him. I said, Bob, where should I live? He said, live in the Valley. I said, why? And that's why I bought a house in the Valley. Bob mm. Hope. And so, yeah, we'll finish. And it, it was Denzel. I just want to tell you all these stories. Denzel, when I first bought a house, I said to the lady, what street Denzel live on? <laughs> Give me a house on that street. <laughs> That's true shit. That's why I bought my house. <laughs> I ain't lying. You had, that, you had that arrogance, like, in a good way, though. Like, yeah. you know, it was like, it's that motivating arrogance. Yeah. I, like, never told, I never yeah. told Denzel that. Yeah. I got to tell Denzel that. They, they asked her, I said, what street Denzel live on? I said, give me a house on that street. Yeah. And I went and bought that house. <laughs> Man, that's cool as hell. That's, that's true, cool. True. That's true, true. I never so, told him that. Okay. I never told him that. Okay. Which came first, Talking Dirty After Dark with Martin Lawrence mm -hmm. or Hanging with Mr. Cool? Talking talk Dirty talk, After Talking Dirty, right? That came first. Okay. Maybe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you do... Hanging with Mr. Cooper. When you get that gig, you're, what, 30, 31? Yeah, Probably. something like that. I had, this when I got Mr. Cooper, I, this was what I had. I had in living color. I had a contract on the table as a player. I could have signed in living color, wanted me. Okay. Rokina said, we want to sign you. Mr. Cooper wanted to sign me. I had another sitcom I could have did on NBC, where I think Kim, Kim, Whit, Kim whatever her name is. Really? No, not Kim Whitley, but Kim, um, Kim Coles. And then I had um, Showtime at the Apollo. I was hosting Showtime at the Apollo, too. So it was either, people don't realize this, it was either In Living Color or Mr. Cooper. So here I am on the weekend sitting with two fucking contracts in there like a boss and shit, saying, nigga, what you want to do? You want to do Mr. Cooper or you want to do In Living Color? Living Color was on fire because I was on tour with Damon Wayans at the time. Yeah. And they loved me. And they offered offered that to me. And Living Color is already, like you say, it's on fire. Oh, Mr. On Cooper, fire. you don't know if it's going to get Well, my thing, I wanted to be first... my own boss. Yeah. I didn't want to work for nobody. I had to work for Keenan. And I, and I and I did warm up for it in Living Color, so I knew how that worked. In Living Color, I would have destroyed it. It would have been incredible. It would have been, it would have been incredible. But I said, I'm on my own show. It was a very hard decision. Uh, trust me, I almost went with Living Color. I almost went with Living Color. And to this, so people to, don't know. To this we're day, doing this thing, Willie. People don't know this. It's the first time you yeah. ever saying this shit. Yeah. 
Because I don't tell my game. I don't tell my game to all these lame motherfuckers. <laughs> Shit, talking all that bullshit to them weird motherfuckers. I ain't into that. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, to this day, do you think that you made the right decision? Mm-hmm. You, you never had regrets. Mr. Cooper? Yeah. Shit, we went international, baby. Yeah. I went international in this motherfucker. No yeah. matter what country I go to in the world, they know me. Yeah, that, that was the move because... Living Color had an ensemble cast, and yeah. a lot of those guys they they did well by being on those shows, doing those doing those sketches I, and things. Yeah. But Mr. Cooper was Mark, right? That was it, it was Mark Curry's yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Period, and that show is capsulated for right. the rest of eternity. Yes, and that's your thing, right? You know. If you look at Living Color, you think that's Kenning's thing. That's Kenning's thing. Yeah, right. right. So, absolutely great call, right. man. You played a number of, uh, I would say, pure roles or innocent roles or these roles where these, you have these beloved characters like with in, on well, ABC. And, well, the reason I did that, let me just, let me, let me, when you say pure, I just didn't do buffoonery. Right. I told these niggas, I don't do buffoonery. I'm an educated black man, so therefore you will not put me in that mode. So people think that that's why I had problems with comedy, because they thought I was, you know, I said, no, nigga, I'm not the nigga be jumping around and saying cliche. I'm not, that ain't me. I'm going to give it to you, but that's not going to be me. So it made it look like it was pure, but I came through educated, Sydney Porty A style. And well, it, and it, nigga, they wanted niggas to be jumping up. That's why I never won an NAACP award. Because I was I wasn't buffoonish enough for these motherfuckers. What I, you don't think I should have won an NAACP award? God damn! But I ain't gonna ask you for it. I ain't gonna beg you for it. And I ain't gonna bitch because you ain't gonna give me one. Because I knew what I did. I know I I represented Black America profoundly in those five years. If you look at my show, I'm the only motherfucker with a laptop. Look 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 at the beginning of my shows. In the beginning, dun, 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 I'm reading a Black History book. Look at those signs. Just look at the beginning of Mr. Cooper and seeing what he was doing. Because they would throw me a basketball. I said, nah, throw me a computer, motherfucker. Huh? And they went, well, did you, what, would the character have a computer? Yeah, the nigga got a computer. That's huh. the kind of arguments I was Yeah, he got a fucking computer. Hand me that fucking computer right there. Well, we got to cut up the logo. Give me this fucking computer. Start this shit. Let's go. That's how I had to deal with it. They didn't want me to have a computer. They wanted me to have a basketball. They yeah. wanted me to lust after every woman that came on, you know, every woman. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. So so what? I guess a, a more appropriate word would be wholesome. I jammed him up about right. that. So yeah, wholesome. wholesome. Yes. Wholesome. Because wholesome. those characters, was a, that character was a wholesome, wholesome character. Yes. The same thing when you did that that show on uh, Nick at Night. Uh, what, what, what was that show that you did on Nick? I don't even know. I did so many, sir. You you did three episodes. I mean, three uh, seasons. I don't, that I show. I don't know. Um, Come was, on, man. You know how we ain't gonna talk. I don't about know which it. one. What did it look like? I, what did I, I do I, on I, it? What, what what was it? Uh, I just I, I rem just I remember uh, you being on the show on um, it. It was. Uh, what did I do on the show? I did a lot of shows. Um, was it a kid show? It was a kid show. It was on Nick Nick at Night. I was on that. <laughs> I don't know, sir. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say it could have been. Okay. Um, well, my family my, reunion. Well, well, my my point uh, is my point is that have you ever been like conflicted in how you uh, move in life in your personal life 
versus how you present it when you play those wholesome characters where people have certain expectations of you to be one way and you feel like, okay, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, fall back because these people are going to try to counsel me. Fall back? Fall back, you know, not, you know, where you, you might have a situation where, you know, somebody get out of line and you want to check them, you know, you want to, you know, you want to say it, something crazy public, or whatever. I don't understand. In public or any, any because these, when you played, uh, hang, when you played uh, Mr. Cooper. Right. That was a very wholesome role, and you had a lot riding on that. That was right. your show. Right. If you go, everything goes. Everybody, oh. if nobody can work. Yes, yes, If you yes. can't work, nobody, no, you don't eat, nobody eats. Right, right. And so did you ever feel a, a, an added burden Definitely. to make sure that, you know, you didn't do anything out of pocket to, to jeopardize Definitely. the bag? Definitely. Well, I was, I was the bag. So I knew that in Hollywood, I'm a ghetto boy, so this is my first time in Hollywood looking at these these people. Mm-hmm. And so I I only go by I could only go by how you treat me. I'ma treat you I could only see. So I didn't know what to do. So I looked at the bag and I looked and said, Okay, how are we gonna do this bag? You know, what, what what's our goal here? You know, our goal is five years. Mm-hmm. A lot of shows didn't make it. So what's and our goal? What, what we gotta do? Who I need to meet. I knew the top. I needed I was with the top dudes. When I say the top, I was with the top guys. And I knew them. I knew them on a personal basis. And mm-hmm. so I knew what to do. I knew what not to do. I knew, you know, as far as character off, that was off screen was difficult because here I am, you in L.A., you know, you know, in L.A. and you popular. You know, so it's hard to be off the grid. And you go back to Oakland. You're like, oh, man, I don't think I need to be in this situation right here. You know, so it was very difficult. Then I was Mr. Cooper, beloved, almost like Barney. I was almost like Barney for the kids. So I go somewhere, little kids come up to me. And so then my material changed. It kind of threw me off, mm-hmm. you know, my my rhythms of comedy because I, Mr. Cooper talking like that, you know. And so it, it, it threw me off. It really threw me off to be that humanitarian, to be that guy because I was a raw comedian first. And then they gave me this, and I and it and it worked, and I saw the humanity in it. Where you can, I knew I was special when I went to Children's Hospital, and I made children happy. I said, "You blessed, bro. These little kids are mess. These little kids are, have diseases. They're messed up, and just the humanity to walk in there, and to feel the power that made them smile." I said, "Man, you you blessed, bro. You blessed." And so, you know, I you know I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but. You know, it was a, it was a huge pressure. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, you go meet Mr. Cooper. I got to be on twenty four hours. Me and Crockett, we walking around. We got to be on twenty four hours, no matter where I go. We went to Starbucks. We could, we talked to eighty three people in there. But if I wouldn't have been mean, it would have been fucked up. It would have been it would have hurt them. Mm-hmm. Imagine you meet a big celebrity, Jamie Fox or, or somebody. Remember how you doing, man? Fuck, get out of here, man. It's like it'll it'll hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I feel the burden. I'm carrying a burden, not the burden, but on my back is I'm carrying it. I have to make the Lord bless me to make people smile. We made all those people in Starbucks feel good by just saying, hey, girl, what you doing? Hey, what's your name? <laughs> it just took them to a different humanity, you know, and I know I'm blessed like that. And it's an incredible feeling to know that. You know it, too. You're famous. Come on. You go out. People meet you. In Houston, there, damn man, I never met you, brother. Whatever, it means a lot to him that you're nice to him, 
or whatever, you know. So it's a hell of a burden. Yes. I, I was in line at a wall, what is it called, Walmart. Right. Years ago. And I'm standing behind this guy who's getting checked out. I'm next in line. Uh-huh. And I I get greeted by the cashier, and I return the greeting, and dude, snap. He looked back real quick. He said, yo, right. Willie D. Yeah. Oh, and his girl is freaking out. Hey, what's, what's going on? Right, know? right. And he's like, baby, that's Willie D. Right. Ghetto Boys, the mean one. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that's the, the that's mean the one. Me. I'm, like, I'm like, I ain't the mean one. Scarface and Bushwick, them motherfuckers yeah. are the mean yeah, ones. Scarface a little bit meaner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, they, they're the mean ones. So I, I understand, you know, that 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 image that yeah. that you have. Come on, you know, you to, you had it before me. Projects, you know, you were famous before yeah. me. Yeah. You were when I was coming up. You were famous to me. Yeah, I went and saw you perform. At the Oakland Coliseum, uh, the Richmond. Oh, I saw wow. you guys perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that show. Yeah, I went. Because we yeah. shot some pistols off. No, I'm just, uh, but no. Somebody shot some pistols yeah, off before the show. <laughs> <That was us>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so so you know what it what it feels like. Yeah. You know, you know the burden. That's yeah. not a burden. I don't well, it's, it's a blessing and a burden, really, to be honest, I think. I yeah, think it's not it's a, a burden. burden. We can't say it's a burden because we're blessed. It's not a burden. No, that's what that's what people want. That's that's the politically yeah. correct thing to say, but fuck that. It's a blessing. Yeah, it's it a is. blessing and a burden, you know. It is. But more of a blessing, you know, because the al- because the alternative is not something that either of us would want. Exactly. So it ain't a burden. We yeah. ain't saying there ain't no burdens. Well, you know, a burden is just something that We're that, just famous people, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And it is what it is. You famous. You famous. You famous. You don't think you famous? Yeah, you yeah. Know. You famous. How you think you don't think you famous? Yeah. But but I'm I'm just I'm just saying that we famous. We made it. I'm just saying yeah. We did, and and I'm and I, I I do I do feel blessed, you know, to be able to follow my dreams, you know, and have set these goals, and then and right. see see them come to. Well, fruition. let me ask you a question. How did it feel when you first heard your music on the? What what was your when you guys know, when you guys first heard it on the air or something? Yeah. It was just like it is in the movies. Every time, you know how they show all of the, every time they have a, a biopic and they show the, the group, you know, singing or whatever, or rapping, and right. the music come on on the radio for the first time, everybody goes, hey, they playing that music on the radio. Ah! Really? Yeah, it's like that. You know, it's, wow. like, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful What was the first song something. on the radio? The first song that, I've ever heard them play was a song called No Sellout that we had on the first album. Okay. But when it got crazy was the mind playing tricks. Yes, yes. That was that, that was that crazy. was the big one. That was that that shut everything down. That shut down. everything down. Oh man, that shut everything down. I knew that song was gonna be big. I knew it was big when we went to Stevie Wonder's radio station in Los Angeles uh-huh. and the the staff was there at the station at 5 a.m. They wasn't supposed to be there till like 8 or 9. They were there at 5 a.m. for our interview. Wow. And they had their family members and stuff. I'm talking about old people, young people. Wow. They were out there. Everybody wanted autographs and they wanted pictures and stuff. So That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, me and Bushwick Bill, we did a, a video. I don't know if you ever saw it on my Instagram. I don't think so. And we did one of the greatest video, And he was... I got I to gotta find it because... He we, was we just riffing. We met, we were at a comedy club, mm-hmm. and we were just riffing. And I said to him, "Tell me about the meaning of life, my brother." And we riffed something, and it was it was yeah. incredible. Yeah, and I, I have that. Yeah, it was a very very intelligent dude. 
Yeah, that's that's Houston. But Houston he was knew uh, that that boy knew that Bob was front to back. Like he could did he? Yeah. Say man, you could start talking about the Bible, uh-huh. and he'll identify that verse like this. Just just just. We didn't, I didn't know that. Just say one little piece of it, and he'll tell you where exactly where it comes from. Oh, yeah, that's King James. Uh, uh, really? Fourth, fourth chapter, fifth, fifth, uh, fifth verse, whatever. Yeah. Well, yes, he yeah. was deep like that because I was yeah. talking. He was at the comedy club. He was hanging yeah. out. He liked comedy. That was yeah. awesome. And he was deep like that with those little sayings and you know and yeah, you know, that's deep. Because I think I, you know, anyway, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, I said King James. King James, you know, you know I'm not a Bible dude. Uh, but King James is a version. But they would say, uh, what would they say? Kareem. Something like Corinthians. Or, oh, yeah, Corinthians. They ain't heard know, that word in a long time. Corinthians. Because black preachers be, black preachers be making it up. Let's go to Corinthians chapter 4 and page 6. And they said, <laughs> no. What do you think about posterity pastors? Um... What does that mean? Tell me. I'm, I'm the me the ones who preach money, like get to the paper. Put they it like this. They don't really focus If too I much. went to church with my family and I, we were hungry, we didn't eat that well that morning and wasn't that much gas in the car and I turned the ga- car off and the car still because it needed to tune up. But I had faith. And I told my family, come out. Then I see the pastor ride by in a ooh, green Bentley, coke white interior. Damn, he get out, I can see his jewels glistening. Wow. I can see his Gallagher shoes, Gator shoes from there. First lady gleaming, looking good. Purse, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna rob them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Take off the brace of everything. <laughs> That's what I think of them. <laughs> hey, my family gonna eat. <laughs> my family gonna eat. We may take their car too. Get out the car too. Hey, fair exchange ain't robbery. Hey, right. hey, let's go back to 2007. Okay. 2007. What comes to mind when you? Hear I don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about? No, that. I don't. I don't go okay. back. Right. I don't go back to you know things that shocked my mind. Yeah. And fucked me up. And, you know, so I don't, I don't even think about that shit. No offense, but, you know, it fucked my life up and it messed me up. And it actually was a positive thing because it changed my comedy. Yeah. It changed who I was at that moment. And um, so, and uh, Richard Pryor is my idol. And so me and Richard Pryor went to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was my channeling through Richard Pryor. You know, that was Richard Pryor moment. And, yeah. um, I, you know... It was a bad time in my life. And, you know, people want to interview and talk. I don't talk about that bullshit. Right. It's, it's hard to overcome that. You know, still, yeah. I still haven't overcome it. So, you know. Yeah. So, right. that's what it is. That's what I, I don't even fuck with that. I respect that. Yeah. Uh, you you have a relationship with Bill Cosby? No. What about, what, what about um, um, what am I trying to say? Joe Torrey. You cool with Joe Torrey? Joe Torrey, yeah. Oh, yeah. The niggas who I don't who I don't like, they know it. <laughs> you feel me? It ain't no bullshit. Yeah, I love all those guys. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love yeah. Joe. Joe, Joe, Guy, all of them. Can you talk about this joke stealing thing, man? Well, joke stealing thing, you know, is something, it's so many influenced comedians out there. When you guys was coming up for the example of the rap game, nobody could have took you, your music. 
Because then even it wasn't even you guys had your own music. Oh, even just the style. Yeah, just even the style. The style like, yeah, you know, even too too short. Cadence. And you guys were like talked about the same thing, but two different beats, two different. They ain't didn't nobody. And so these young comedians, the people want to come on. I know I don't steal material. I write. I write every day. I'm a G, and I like to write. And so these guys want to come in and steal your shit. And they they and it, it happens so much. Just like damn. You know, either you got to defend yourself or you got to let the nigga know that you're going to step to him. You know, and I take it personal. Yeah. You know, I'm going to step to you. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to step to you, bitch. If you're stealing my <laughs> shit, fuck you. Fuck you and your family. That's what I feel. I ain't lying. You trying to steal my shit? Fuck you. Yeah. And that's the way I, I step to you. You know, and I don't mean it had to be a physical. I'm going to step to you. And they all go, oh, my, 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 my. I just let motherfuckers know, you know. And that's why I try to write different, try to write unique. They're going to steal it. They're going to, punk ass motherfuckers going to always steal your shit. They always got punk ass motherfuckers out here who, who wait for you, who sit in there and watch you and then take pieces of your mm. shit. I know. I know I don't steal motherfucking shit. I don't, I don't look at nobody else. I don't, I don't want to see nobody else. I don't look at no other comedians. I don't need to see no other comedians. There was only Richard Pryor to me. You know, my top dogs, Cat Williams and these dudes. Other than that, you, you know, I, I ain't feeling you. I enjoy you, but I'm not going to steal. And I don't even, if you going one way, with, that's why I never did nothing on COVID. Because all these niggas, every nigga did something on COVID. Same writing motherfuckers. You didn't do one COVID I ain't joke? Do, I had one COVID joke. I said, I like the mask because you can talk shit to your woman. Bitch, <laughs> fuck you, bitch. What'd you say? I said, I need to get rich. We need to get rich. That's the only joke I ever did. Because <laughs> everybody was doing it, so I didn't concentrate. You know? Yeah, yeah. I ain't had no Obama jokes. Everybody doing Obama jokes. Everybody doing the same Trump jokes. Everybody doing the same. So I try to write outside the box so these dudes won't steal. But they still come. I still, I ain't going to say no names, but I still, I still see my shit, pieces, you know, come up. You know, if I if I say something, they'll say it. I, I I'm a historian. I read. I I I research. I Google. You tell me about any timeline in American history. I could tell you what was going on and why, what was affected, da da da. And I utilize that, you know, in my act. So you know, and so you hear little words. I, I'll say something, cornbread, and suddenly they'll just say cornbread. A little, you know. Mm. So. Nothing you can do. It just I, I got to the point where I said, well, fuck it. You know, it's flattery, Curry. That means you're the best. These little bitch-ass motherfuckers stealing your shit, that means you the, you the goat. They stealing your shit. But it's one thing for a guy to steal some material from the little guy. Yeah. But when they try to steal from somebody with a name already, somebody who can defend themselves, who can right. actually, who has a platform to get the word out and let, and put you on blast. That means... Why would somebody take that well, risk? Well, like, like the Steve Harvey thing. I think he might have been doing it just it, bitch move. You know, not maybe, not maybe stealing my material. You know, I, maybe giving the benefit of the doubt. Maybe one of his writers did it. But they know, they, we all know whose material it is. And I think, it, you know, a tier of motives. You know, sometimes be a tier of motive. You know, you never know what a motherfucker, he took something. He took something, I'm going to take something in here. It ain't about the mm. money. Motherfucker got enough money. You know what yeah. I mean? So it looked like you want some of me. You want to be me. So therefore, you ain't got enough money. You know, you ain't got yeah. enough money. You want to be me. So I, I look at it like that. That's all right, boy. I'm a G in the game, and you want to be me. You want to, you want, you want my style. You want to see how, how does it feel to be me. That's why I look at it. 
That's a good point that you made about the writers. I never even thought about that, but yeah. that's true. Like, mm-hmm. when you get to the level of a Steve Harvey, mm-hmm. you have writers. Mm-hmm. And some of these guys can, you know, steal other people's jokes and then get paid. Give, them that, give, give those jokes to some other guy who has a larger platform and get paid for doing that. Right, and, right. And... You know, but you know what guy, he's doing. You know what you're doing. But this guy takes the joke un, 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 unsuspectingly. And, and, he know. He knew. But he, he knew. you're saying he knew. He knew. He knew. I ain't going to play that bullshit game. Yeah. We ain't going to play all that. But I didn't know. Uh, nigga, yes, you did. Stop it. Uh-huh. Stop. You want to be me. It ain't about you. may got more money, but you want to be me. What's you the wanna joke? You want to be smooth as me. You want to wear clothes like me. You can't be smooth as me, fool. Was, was the joke that he told... One of the jokes that you had that was on a major platform. On the major all platform. The, all the way out there. Yes. Everybody I did the joke on Comedy Central. Okay. One, one of my Comedy Central specials. Yeah. Yes. So anything you say, I can go research it, bitch. Anything you ever told to me, nigga, I, I got, I got a, my first HBO specials, nigga, doing that. I could go to some dude and say, you think you, you, I stole that from you? Look at my HBO special, fool. You mm. got it from me. Where are you right now in your career? Like, what's going on? I'm on tour with Cat Williams. 2023 tour, best tour out. We're destroying them. It's a major tour. We're doing, you know, big centers. You know, Cat give me that platform, and we're destroying them. And mm-hmm. we just crush, kill, destroy. So that's why I'm at my career. I'm a comedian. I want to be a comedian. And I, that's what I am. I'm a comedian first. And then I'm. I, I want to come out with a new sitcom. I've been thinking about that. I said, do I want to come back to TV? Do I want to do this? But it looks so lame out there. I see these shows are so lame. And I did it, excuse me, once. And I retired. I said, I'm done with it. I, I didn't want to come back. I, I, I did it. So I said, hmm. So I'm thinking about, you know, coming back to television. How many yeah. hours a day were you putting in on Mr. Cooper? Um, 10, 10 to 5. 10 to 5. Oh, so that's not that bad. 10 a.m.? Yeah, I, I to told them. They had me. I, I can't get up. I, I would come to work at 1030. I said, I ain't no good <laughs> yeah. about 1030. Because I've heard stories of guys being in those rooms, for like in the writers' rooms, for like 17 hours out of the well, day. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's the writers. But I was more spontaneous and quick. Mm-hmm. So you give me the script, and I put Mark Curry into the script. And how many days a week did you... Dude, uh, practice the script uh, uh, every day. When they pay you that much money, we went to work every day, brother. Huh. Every day, and that cry. You look back and say, "Damn!" I Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, block Thursday, and shoot it Friday. They made you stay there. We could have did that in one day. I could have shot that show in one day. Mm-hmm. But they made you stay there. I thought, I thought I used to think about that. I said, "Damn!" They made me stay there a week. It just take a week to shoot the show. Yeah. Are you doing any executive producing? Um, right now, um, no. Right now, I'm just on tour. Right now, I'm a comedian, and that's what I like to be. I, I like to be Richard Pryor. I just want to be out there being the funniest dude um, that I could possibly be, and that goes with my mental. When I'm funny, everything else, you know, that's what that's what my life goes. Mm. I'm a comedian, so I'm funny. I can do other things. So I'm looking at this sitcom, so I'm right, I wrote it down. I have the basis of it. I will be executive producer, so when I push a sitcom out, if I want to do that, I'm going to figure, do I want to do that? Do I want to do a sitcom? Do I want to go back and do this? I already made history. Do you want to do it again? Do, do you, you know, you know, do you want to do it? movies? Movies ain't, you can't just do movies like it used to be. So sitcom, you know, maybe I'll come back and, and do a sitcom. And, and, 
and shock the world because what I see uh, is not, I don't see anything funny. I don't watch no show. Me and Martin was funny. I used to watch Martin and fucking die. And I don't see anything like that. I don't mm -hmm. see funny shows, you know, like Mr. Cooper. Or, I don't see that. So I would love maybe to come back and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe. Yeah. Come maybe be fun. Yeah, the, 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 the funny, funny stuff is few and far between when you watch these comedy shows now, these sitcoms. They're terrible. You watch these sitcoms. The jokes, the real jokes, jokey stuff like... And Martin and Cooper like, yeah. back to back to back. Because we were comedians and we would put that yeah. influence into the scripts. They would give us basic scripts and me and Martin would take it up to another level. These people get the scripts and they just read what they, hey, let's get some coffee, honey. <laughs> what about pizza? You don't like pizza? And they read them lines like, oh, my God. <laughs> See, when they gave me them lines like pizza, I said, damn, put some cornbread on that pizza. Let's do this. <laughs> and then, you know, add a little ooh to it. They ever try to make you wear a dress? I did wear a dress one time. Only reason I did it, one time. Only reason I did it, only reason. I told him I'd never wear a dress, but it was with Sherman Hemsley. And what, what was the situation? The situation was I wanted Sherman Hemsley um, was a landlord or something, and so I had to dress up as a woman to convince him. And it was, it was a funny scene, so I said, now, I don't do dresses, homie. But I said, with Sherman Hemsley, I'll do it. Do you regret doing it? No, no, no. Because it was with Sherman Hemsley. He was a legend. And I said, if I could do something funny with him, and and he, he I had to beat him off of me. It was hella funny. And so I didn't I didn't regret it. That's the only time I did that. Only time. And and they I got a story for the dress story it's gonna really blow your mind. I Joanna Man. Remember the show Jawana, mm -hmm. the movie Joanna Man? Yeah. I was up. It was my movie. It was my movie. It was it was between me and the Gail Nunez. Right. They said we like you, you know. It's between you and him. So we sitting in there in the makeup room. They said, uh, "This is audition. Okay, here we go. Uh, you, we got we got to save your eyebrows." I said, "What?" I said, "No, you ain't saving my motherfucking eyebrows." I, I said, "Nah, we ain't doing that." Miguel Nunez, said, "I'll do it." <laughs> he saves his eyebrows. Got the part. Yeah. I said, no. Nah. I told him, motherfucker, no, nah, ain't, I ain't shaving my eyebrows, and I ain't got the part. Nigga, you out of your motherfucking mind, you weird freaks. Do you think there's an agenda to emasculate yes. black men Definitely. in Hollywood? Definitely. You've yeah. seen it. You've seen it, yes. Yeah. Well, you look look at the movie Panther. The movie came out, was incredible, powerful. Shit. That movie was the most incredible movie ever. Look, the the second one that came out, it wasn't even a black man in the movie. What? You don't think that's imagery? Come on now. That was the most powerful movie you ever seen. A black man by brother. Damn, what is this? Why do you think Avatar came out and, and, and it stretched three hours? That nigga said, I'm going to put another hour on Avatar so we can blow this shit out. Ain't nothing, this shit is too powerful. What the fuck is beautiful? Black man, these powerful people, black powerful come out the next movie, ain't no dudes in the motherfucking movie. What? Yes, come on. Okay, so having said that, why would you allow them to do the dress scene? Why would you do the dress scene? If you know if you know there's an agenda to, you know, emasculate black men, why would you because give, them a, give them any ammunition? I, it, because my ammunition, because you can't, I, I had a Teflon vest on. 
because I showed my masculinity. I showed who I was. And the reason I had to dress on, I, I wanted to work with Sherman Hemsley. I thought it would be, I, I loved him and he was physical and he was trying to attack me. And so we was fighting. I said, that was funny to me. And when I went in to do that scene, I remember we got into it with the network because they wanted full makeup. Me and the makeup, the dude, the makeup dude, I put the wig on. He said, I said, that's all right, nigga. They ain't doing all that shit. He said, I remember he got to the network, Mark, but they have to put, I said, if I'm the one putting this makeup on in the scene, I wouldn't do it right. I said, give me this goddamn, I did it my own <laughs> self. They were fucking mad as shit. I remember that. They wanted to make me up like, as a lady. I was like, nah. And if you look at I did the wig like this, let's go. <laughs> and it pissed them off. But so I did it my way. God I did it my way. So it didn't, it didn't hurt me in any type of way. If you could give Hollywood a different name, or just a different name, give Hollywood a different name other than weird, what would it be? Money tree. Money tree. Money tree, baby. Everybody trying to climb that tree to get them that money. Mm. Pushing the other, everybody down to seat. You know, they will kill you. You go in Hollywood, that's where you find the devil because that's deceit. Motherfucker, everybody is deceit. Everybody wants something. Everybody will turn you in. Everybody will mm. knife you, you know, stab you in the back. Everybody. Everybody talking shit behind your back. Everybody want to see you fail. Mm. It's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's a world that's incredible. You know, it's an incredible world. You know. Do, do you feel like... But it's a beautiful people... world. Right. Exactly. Thank you. I, I thank you for it. We love you. I love you, for Hollywood. Thank you. Do you do you feel like the the people, the fans, the industry, have given you what you've given them? Yes. I think yeah. I'm getting. I get respect wherever I go because I've given the people respect. Everything I, time I put out a product, my product is just like Coca-Cola. You know my motherfucking brand. My brand is good, just like Blue Magic. My shit is certified. When you say Mark Curry, you know what you're going to get because I gave them products. Everything I served you has been. You didn't have to step on my shit. My shit is good. Every time I give you my shit, my shit is 100%. Every time you ever seen me do any motherfucking thing, it's 100%. And I've been real. I ain't fake. And people see that, and I think, and I, and they see it, and they give me my props. And that's all I want. When you're hanging out with guys who you really ain't never hang, hung out with before, sometimes it might be business associates or whatever. And they, I don't hang out with niggas they, I don't know. Well, you be around people from time to I don't time. Hang you meet, you got to meet new. You meet new people, man. Come okay. on, <laughs> you meet new. Yeah, people. I meet new people. When you meet new people, and they're around <laughs> you. When they're around you, when new people are around you, are they expecting? Mark Curry, like like when you're not in the mood to be jokey jokey, right. and are they? Does it get like? Uh, does it get annoying when people want you to be jokey jokey when you're being serious? Well, no, I mean, I mean, it's part it's part of who you are. It's part you know dealing with people. That's what I'm saying. I don't deal with new people. I, you know, yeah, you know, you just you set the tone. I think you set the tone by how you approach. I always approach somebody with a joke just to break the, break it and say, what's happening, man? And the motherfucker try to get serious. What are you talking about? I don't hear that say, say that bullshit. I let motherfuckers know. I don't hear that bullshit right now. I don't give a fuck who in the fuck you are. Nigga, we ain't doing that right now, nigga. Right. Nigga get mad, nigga, then that's your business. Get the right. fuck up. Get the fuck out of my face. We ain't doing that, nigga. What up, man? I know you want to... I always say to people, you want to take a picture, man? Because it means a lot. Come on, let's get this picture, man. All right, what you trying to do, player? You got a business card? Well, let's talk about it. We ain't talking about that now. I'm trying to get some bitches, nigga. We ain't doing that right now. Give me your card. Let's be, step away, nigga. Yeah. That's the way I do it. 
get off my date. He can tell you. No, not like here. that. But it ain't, time, it ain't appropriate. Give me your business card, nigga. What you doing? What you, we ain't we handling business now, nigga. Yeah. I'm trying to look at these hoes right here. What, what you doing? <laughs> huh? What you, what, who are you? I, I always say to motherfucker, break them, where you from? I always say that to motherfuckers. They bother me. Where you from, nigga? You from where? Because I know every hood. So where you from? I just like to see where you from. Man, you've been moving around in Houston, man. I like I've seen you like out, like you've been enjoying yourself. That's right, here. baby. You know, you gotta yeah. move inside. I'm with Mr. Crockett, you know. Yeah. So we we you know, I am with Crockett. So we we in the Maybach, we y'all pulling up like we, I'm seeing y'all pulling we pulled up, up in the black Maybach. Yeah, we know, pulled like, up. We saw you pull up. Yeah. We saw you pull up in your Maserati. <laughs> yeah, he had a rap lime green Maserati. I ain't never I said, okay, orange wheels. I said, you doing too much. You doing too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I like to. I like to move. I like to. You know, be out. That. That. You know, as a celebrity, a lot of times we don't get a chance to get out. But I'm the one who like. I like to get out and see. It keeps me. I'm in my 60s. I, I like yeah. to know what's going on. So if I'm on stage, I want to know what the youngsters talking about. I don't want to be on stage. Well, you know, uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes was a good group, and <laughs> oh, you know what, people. I want to. I want to be able to say, you know, hey, I want to, you know, we, you know, where your slab? What color is your slab? You know, I might get my slab wrapped in lime green. You know, throw them elbows on that baby. Go spin that shit like what? You know. Man, what's up with you assaulting these sneakers, man, on your on your IG? What's uh, up with that, man? Well, you got to wake the shoes up, baby. <laughs> the real Mark Kerr Instagram, you got to wake. When I get a brand new pair of tennis shoes, I get them, I throw them. You got to wake them up. Yeah. Wake them up. That's my new thing. I was, I was like, man, you be throwing those uh, sneakers hard, man. I thought you were going to knock a hole in the wall. I did one time. I, <laughs> I threw that motherfucker up. I just like to, you know, that's what I do. I have rituals. Um, all my um, bottles, if you see me, I take my knife and I cut the label off. Mm-hmm. I do it for Robin Williams because uh, Robin Williams passed and he had a special where he had all the um, labels off on his on his comedy special. So every time I do a bottle, I take the label off for Robin Williams, you know, mm-hmm. represent Robin Williams. Man, salute to Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest. That was my dude there. I saw him at Tour de France twice. He was yeah. a bicyclist. I was a bicyclist. Mm-hmm. And I saw him at Tour de France twice. Yeah. Robin Williams, yep. True story. Uh, other than uh, Robin Williams, uh, are there any, like, comedians that are no longer with us, you know, besides, mm-hmm. I know I know how you feel about Richard, but other right. than Richard and Robert, that, that when they died, you was like, Mo, it kind of set you back? Um, you know, John Weatherspoon, good guy. You know, he was a good guy. So many, we lost so many comedians, I think, in this last um, year. It seemed like we just lost, like, six comedians. And, um, you know, I, you know, we're a fraternal order, comedians. So when one of us got, you know, goes, it's like, wow, man. You know, look at our body of work. So, you know, you know, I, 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 when my guys die, you know, it means a lot to them. To me, because you know, because I'd been knowing him for so many, so many years, and you know, and so it it makes you think, think about life. You know, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I take each stage time and try to be, try to Richard Pryor, try to kill it because you never know when it's your last. Yeah. When it's time for you to go and you ain't got no more. Mm-hmm. How does Mark Curry want to be remembered? You know, um, your legacy is all you leave. So you want to be remembered as a very funny guy, as a very nice guy. Um, you want to be able to leave some 
some uh, materialistic things, maybe a building with your name on it, a street with your name on it. Mm. Uh, maybe um, I'm going to get a walk of fame before I die. And so I'm going to make sure I leave my legacy so my kids can see it and and um, and and leave them, just leave them a legacy. I, my company name is in their name. So when I die, they get my company. They get all my you know, tapes and everything, so you can do what you want with it. So I just want to be, you know, you just want to go out and, you know, you just want to live a good life. And, you know, you want to give a, be a good, happy life. And that's the main thing. And for me, I want to be funny. That's, that's my life. I want to be funny. I want to be that funny dude. You know, these guys go until they're 80 doing stand-up. I want to, I got shit, I'm 60. If I could do stand-up for 20 more years, I'd be happy. Yeah. I would like that. Dick Gregory. Well, we're definitely happy, man, that you came and blessed the podcast and Thank gave you. the people the information and instructions that they need to navigate through this wild, crazy, yes, beautiful world, man. And I'm on tour with Cat Williams, baby. I want to let them know that. 2023, look it up. Go check Go check out Mark Curry, fam. One of the best to ever do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been real. No more talk. That's right. That's what we go do. Over here. Now, now he's killing the cup. cup. This is, a, this is how you kill a cup. That's how you kill a cup. <laughs> Thank you. That's a wrap.